0: We'll And a very big welcome to you. If you've joined us from wherever you are in the world, I'm super excited about the new series that we're starting today on the conscience. Before we jump into the word and the message and what's going to be happening in this new series, let's pray together and then we'll jump straight in. Father, we thank you that we can come together from wherever we are in the world. Father, thank you that you are always teaching us. You are always edifying us. You are always providing a way out for us. Father, we open our hearts and our minds to you right now so that you can teach us and lead us. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, as we come out of a season of Easter and celebrating Jesus, I thought it would be a really good idea to take a look at some practices, decisions, and habits that we can get into to respond to the wonderful gift of what Jesus has done for us. So if you're joining us from wherever you are in the world, around the world, online, or if you're here in the room, a very big welcome to each and every one of you. I'm really excited about where God is going to take us over the next five or six weeks on the series entitled Conscience. Now, the conscience is a very interesting part of who we are. It's a very interesting element of our human psyche. It's a a voice on the inside of us that we kind of almost have a daily conversation with. Uh, Yes, you do have a daily conversation. Come on, you've got some voices inside your head and you speak to them every single day. I'm not the only crazy. Just make sure that if you you only have two voices because if you have more than two voices, that means you're schizophrenic and that can be really dangerous. I'm just talking about the the, the conversation Conversation that you have between yourself and your conscience all the time going, should I go left? Should I go right? Should I do this? Shouldn't I do this? Sometimes we find that that part of our psyche, that that piece of us that has that internal conversation, is sometimes a bit of a party pooper. It's the one that keeps us up at night if we've done something wrong. It's it's a, a bit of a, a fun robber. It, it takes away from our joy sometimes. And, and it's, it's really a, a part of us that we we quite don't know how to handle sometimes. Should I? Shouldn't I? Was that my reason? Was that my conscience? Was that the voice of God on the inside of me? What is this conscience? What does it do? How can it best be leveraged in your life? How can we do better because of what is happening in our conscience? Can it be trained? Is it influenceable? Can I do something with this conscience that will make me into a better person? And whether or not you're sitting today with a conscience that pricks you, a conscience that complains that you've done the wrong thing. There's blame and shame in your life. This all stems from what your conscience has been trained and been taught to do. The purpose of the series that's coming up now is to help you build your conscience to maximize your destiny decisions. Can I say that again? It's to help you build your conscience so you can be maximizing your destiny decisions. You see, we need to be able to develop our conscience in such a way that it becomes a tool that helps us develop habits for greatness. It's not a tool that is just your, your blame muscle or your, or your shame muscle. No, this is a muscle on the inside of your psyche that can give you a series of responses, a series of habits, and things that you automatically do because that is where you're going, towards greatness, and your destiny is assured. Isaiah chapter 30 verse 21 Isaiah is a, a scripture in the middle of the Bible and you can look it up on your you version or in the notes if you click on the notes tab in the, in the auditorium. If you want to turn to Isaiah chapter 3 verse 21, says this, Your own ears will hear him. Right behind you, a voice will say, this is the way you should go, whether to the left or to the right. You see, scripture here is talking about that inner voice, that voice that's telling you to go left. Or to go right. It's a direction. But the thing is about a conscience, it's not just a navigator. It's not just Siri. It's, it's not just Alexa. It's not just something that, that you can talk to to get things done, to help make a decision. No, it also holds you accountable to the left or the right. It also holds you accountable to the decisions that you make. Scripture defines the conscience as God's moral law written on the heart of man. And if we turn up to a scripture in Romans chapter, chapter 2, verse 14 to 15, it says this, Even Gentiles who do not have God's raw, written law show that they know this law when they instinctively obey it. Even without having heard it, they demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts, either accuse them or tell them that they are doing right. You see, the scripture tells us here that God's law has been written onto every single one of our hearts. Whether we believe in Jesus or whether we don't believe in Jesus, it doesn't matter. God's moral standard, God's moral law, God's wrong and right has been written on the inside of you and of me. And it doesn't take a belief structure to know certain things God's moral law has been imprinted on man it's why sometimes we know we don't know the scripture but we know what we're doing is wrong or we know what we're doing is right I recently had an experience the other day when I was thinking of saying something and, and I said to myself oh that should be in the Bible well it was you see I had a thought it was good and right and I knew it was written on the inside of me I didn't know the scripture and verse but I knew that it was in the scriptures. You see, God's moral law, it's not talking here in the scripture of God's 10 commandments, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. No, it's talking about a law, a set of guides that will help you get to greatness. You see, God gave his physical law to his people to move them forward to greatness. He gives you your, his moral law written onto your heart to move you on to greatness. This code, the standard that's in our hearts is in every single one of our hearts. We have a moral guide on the inside of us despite our belief structure. I can talk to somebody of a completely different religion. I can speak to somebody that doesn't believe in God or doesn't believe in a higher source. I can even speak to somebody that believes that we come from monkeys and we will still have a very similar understanding of what is wrong and what is right at the core. You don't have to be a believer in Jesus to know certain things or even know this difference between wrong and right. The conscience is simply an internal debate between what you want to do and what God's moral code is calling us to do. Can I say that again? Your conscience is simply an internal debate, those two voices, and that's a debate between what God has written in your heart, what He wants you to do, and what we end up doing or what we desire to do. When we have guilt... When we have condemnation, when we have this anxiety, when we can't sleep at night because, and we say it like this, our conscience is pricking us, when we have this issue in our hearts, when we, when we can't seem to find peace about what we've done, that's the conscience telling you that there's a bit of a gap between what God has asked you to do, His moral code planted in your heart, and what you have ended up doing. This is certainly not about a Christian going to church. This is certainly not about having a good conscience because you've done your Bible reading. Tick. This is not about a list of things to do. No, this is about a place where you receive inner peace that directs your destiny. This is certainly not about a a certain list of things that you've got to do to prove yourself good. No, God has already placed the good, the moral code, on the inside of you. This is about getting into the habits and being guided by that moral code to meet the moral code for your goodness and greatness. This is not about having a guide that you sometimes listen to. No, this is about having a guide that will help you maximize your life, help you make good, solid decisions. I don't know about you, but I'd love to have a place where I could go to, like the library, Uh, Not like Google, because Google's a bit of a mess sometimes, but just to go someplace where I can go and I know that I'm getting the right information, I'm getting the right decision, I'm getting the right direction for my life. Just a quiet place where I can go and have a look at the encyclopedias of life, the moral code of all time, and I can have a look and say, what must I do in this moment? What's the best possible decision to maximize my destiny in this very moment? If I could just have a place like that, where we could always be going to, always be referring back to the moral goodness of God in our lives, what kind of decisions would we have? What kind of lives would we enjoy? What kind of thoughts would we have? What kind of relationships would thrive under that kind of moral guidance by God? Well, that place is called your conscience. It's about this, the solid decisions But more importantly, it's about making decisions and then following through so that good decisions become good habits. You see, when our conscience is at peace, that's a reward to our human psyche. When our conscience is not at peace, that reward is anxiety, stress. It's not getting a good night's rest. But you see, when we go to this place and we find God's good moral decision, and then we walk it out and those decisions become habits, we then start understanding the peace of God in our lives, and you will sleep so much better, allowing your peace, your place or your space to go to where God wants you to go and therefore develop these habits that will always make sure of your destiny. You see, the conscience is something that's always trying to help you move on towards what is right. It's a small, calm voice that tries to guide you peacefully towards the right decision and the right habits, and the right thing to do. It's a voice that shouldn't be carrying guilt and condemnation, and that's why we don't like our conscience, because nine times out of ten, you think that it's wagging a finger at you. It's keeping you up at night. You shouldn't have said that. You shouldn't have done that. No, no, that's, that's not a conscience that's been trained in the promises of God, in God's moral code. You see, because part of God's moral code is his promise to give you an awesome life to give you something that's beyond what you could ever dream for or imagine. God's moral code is full of goodness, grace, confirmation, not condemnation. It's full of release, not guilt. It's full of good habits, not strongholds and bondages. It's full of joy, not worry. It's saying to you that you can do all things without anxiety and worrying. Why? Because God cleanses your conscience. He gives you a brand new moral moral code every moment you turn to him. And so when that conscience is constantly being molded and being shaped by God, it's always good. It's always pure. And you're always able to put your head on the pillow and go to sleep at night knowing that God has got everything in your life and you've done everything you can to make sure that you've got what God has got for you. You see, this voice is supposed to calmly guide you. It's not supposed to wag a finger at you. But sadly, because of our corruption, because of our bad decisions, and here's the kicker, because of our selfishness, we've corrupted the moral code. Now, I'm an IT guy. I wouldn't be the online pastor if I didn't have an inkling towards the digital. And when I hear the word code, I, I think of, of computer code. Now, I'm blessed in that I've been involved in being able to develop programs and, and write in different codes and languages, computer languages. But when I see the word code, my brain automatically goes to ones and zeros. It's just the way my, wi- my brain is wired. And so when I have a look at this moral code, the first thing that comes to mind is that God has written an operating system that's been installed into your CPU. It's been installed into your heart. That, that operating system has got some, some very distinct commands, It's got some very distinct if, and, and then statements. It's got some very distinct nested, clustered coding combinations. It's got some very distinct shape that it's going to run. And when it runs, it does a very specific thing. And when we run God's operating system, what happens in our lives is that there is no way we can deviate from the programming. You see, the programming will always have a good outcome. God works for the good in all things. The code that God places in your heart will always have the right outcome. The code will always lead you to a good place. But from the moment that we are born, we begin corrupting the moral files that God has installed in our heart. He places this operating system on the inside of you, and man, your CPU, it hums to that code. It works to your, that code. It's good for that code. When you're walking in the moral conduct and the moral fiber and the moral consciousness of God, man, your life takes on a whole new shape. It takes on a, a beauty. It takes on peace. It takes on joy. It takes on hope when you're walking according to the operating system that God has installed in your life. But we've got this computer virus that comes in and starts distorting the moral code that God has placed on the inside of you. And this virus is called selfishness. And you see, from the moment we're born, we begin crying out because we want something. We want food, we want comfort, we want pleasure, and we start turning the calm voice that's gonna be guiding us on our operating system journey towards a desired outcome that's good and that's pure and that's full of God's promise, we start moving towards an operating system that is corrupt through selfishness. And then we wonder why we can't sleep at night because we've corrupted our operating system. Now, I'm also a Mac guy, I I enjoy working on on, on Mac products, and on my desktop, I kind of go through a Thursday morning purge of my desktop. So from Monday through Thursday, and through the weekend, I place as much as I can on my desktop of all the things that I'm working, and my desktop kind of gets a bit cluttered. And then what I do is on a Thursday morning, usually, I don't know why, it's just a habit I've got into, is on a Thursday morning, I I jump onto my desktop and I get frustrated. Because I finished preparing for the week, and now it's time to start looking towards the weekend. So I get frustrated, and and I want to clean out my desktop. So I create folders with names, and I put everything in those folders, thinking to myself that, well, that's a good folder. I will always be able to put the stuff into that folder. Well, three, four, five months go by, and I go back, and I find this arbitrarily named folder, and it's kind of just sitting there. And it's got a whole lot of stuff that I'm never going to use again. Video clips and images and documents that I've used to construct a message and all of these bits and pieces are sitting there. I'm probably never going to use them again. But they begin to clutter my desktop again because now I've got this folder that I, I, I named some arbitrary thing and it's beginning to clutter my space. So I reorganize everything again and I shift things around and I put things in different folders again and, and I put some stuff in the trash and I keep things and I've got a, a folder that says personal keeps and I got a folder that says keeps for personal And I got a folder that says you should really keep this and in the end I got a whole bunch of folders with a whole bunch of clutter because I really thought I needed that stuff and as a result my computer starts running slower I no longer have as much drive space and I got a bit of a problem You see, when we start keeping things and hoarding things and shifting things around to make things more comfortable for us, we're just managing our selfish clutter and it's corrupting our moral operating system that God has given us. Oh, we can call it what we like. We can say that, you know what, this habit that I've got or this thing that I do, it's how I've always done it. It's a crutch in my life and I really need it. It's how I worship God. Sometimes we've even made excuses for the habits that we have in our lives and we've tried to shut our conscience out by calling it something else, by calling it good. You see, you can name the folders whatever you like and you can put them in, put in those folders whatever you like But if you're stepping outside of the operating system of what God has allowed you or asked you to do, you are stepping further and further away towards what you want as opposed to what you have been wired to achieve by God himself. You see, selfishness is a corrupter of conscience. Adam and Eve wanted something more than what God had said was good for them. And so what did they do? They went out and selfishly sought what they wanted. They wanted to be like God. And when they, when they came to this moment of realizing that they had stepped outside of God's moral operating system and selfishness had corrupted that moral code, what happened? Their conscience started to plague them. And scripture says they were guilt-ridden. They hid behind a bush in shame and condemnation. Let me tell you something, that first night outside of the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve didn't get much sleep because their conscience was pricking them, telling them that that was an error. They needed to return to God. They needed to do more. And they turned what their conscience was trying to shape them into, into condemnation, guilt, and shame, as opposed to listening to that conscience and moving forward in the joy of God. You see, if we can just begin to listen to this operating system, we will no longer try and make ourselves believe that what we are doing is right. Here is something you might need to take a note of. When you try and make what you're doing right selfishly, your conscience starts to die. Because you take reason as your conscience, your fault-ridden reason as your conscience, as opposed to your God-trained moral code that's been placed on the inside of you. Your conscience is always looking after your tomorrow. But your own fault-ridden reason is always looking after today. When you make a selfish decision, it means that you're making, you're calling your folder what you want to call it. You're making it comfortable for you, yourself. You're feeling that I'm going to take this decision. I'm going to do this right now because it's the best thing for me. And I get this selfish motive to do what I'm doing. When you make yourself believe that, it, that you can have a right to do whatever makes you comfortable, you start allowing the selfish virus to start corrupting your operating system. Have you ever noticed that those kinds of decisions, they might seem right in the now, but tomorrow they're not so great. The decision seems right in the now, but when you go to bed at night, You can't sleep, and you toss and you turn because you know you've done the wrong thing. Your selfishness is taking decisions for the now. Your conscience wants you to take decisions for tomorrow. It's always investing in your tomorrow. When you go to bed at night and you've done what your God-trained conscience has asked you to do, you sleep better, and your conscience in the now is thinking about your night's sleep. It's not thinking about the selfish moment and the selfish now. And so, if we can properly train our conscience, that properly trained conscience can tame that selfish survival animal instinct that we sometimes find ourselves. How many of us grab on to an addiction or grab on to a bad habit in the now? animalistically, selfishly. You have a right to that thing. Your body is telling you that you can have that perversion. You have a right to do whatever you like. Self-determination is what the world is telling you you can do. And we almost, in an animal way, grab onto that that habit or that trajectory. Well, if that properly trained conscience is allowed to start to speak in your life, it can tame that animalistic instinct. It can awaken in you a moral consciousness that is designed to bring goodness to your life. It can awaken in you the operating system. You can delete all the clutter and get back to what God has asked you to do. Now, a few years ago, my wife and I were blessed to cruise the Mediterranean on a beautiful, beautiful boat, and we saw places that we never dreamed of seeing, and we were able to stand in the place where, where Paul preached in Ephes- to the Ephes- Ephesians in Ephesus. We were able to stand in a place that is now called something else, but it's, it used to be called Smyrna, the congregation of Smyrna, and we were able to cruise that eastern Mediterranean area, the same place that Paul cruised, and was shipwrecked many times. Now, when I defined the word cruise you probably were set up and went, mm, that's something that's enjoyable, that's good, that's, that was pleasurable. But I went on a boat, right? And I can either have a cruise on a boat or I can have a shipwreck on a boat. Uh, my, my boat or the, the mechanism can either cause me to have an enjoyable time, a good life, or it can shipwreck me. In fact, 1 Timothy 1 verse 19 puts it like this, cling to your faith in Christ and keep your conscience clear. In other words, if I am keeping my conscience clear, one of the mechanisms I can keep my conscience clear is to keep my faith in Christ. For some people have deliberately violated their consciences. As a result, their faith has been shipwrecked. You see, your faith and your conscience are intrinsically linked. And over the next course of the next few weeks, we're going to be taking a look at what your faith and your conscience does to make sure that you have a cruise and not a shipwreck, that you are on holiday, not in turmoil, that you are on vacation, not grinding out at the grindstone of life. Your faith and your conscience are directly related to your destiny. Can I say that one again? Your faith and your conscience are directly related to your destiny. A destiny of goodness or a destiny of shipwreck. You see, we want to have a look at seeing what it means to have faith so that we can build our conscience. And in the last session of the series, we're going to be taking a look at the Word and the Holy Spirit and understanding that these two things are faith ingredients to get you to hearing your conscience better. Over the next few weeks, however, we're going to be taking a look at exercises and habits that we can get into to make sure that we are always allowing God's operating system to trump our selfishness. In Acts chapter 24 and verse 16, Paul says this, Because of this, I always try to maintain a clear conscience before God and all people. You see, Paul, by saying, I always try, shows that there were some disciplines, some habits, some things that he did to make sure that he walked in that clear conscience. What are the things that we shouldn't do and what are the things that we should do so that God's moral code can come through loud and clear? Your conscience has been positioned by God in you to serve as a custodian of your destiny. Your conscience has been placed in guard, inside, on the inside of you to steer your ship like a rudder away from shipwreck and towards a beautiful holiday cruise. You see, your conscience' its primary function is to produce in you integrity. And what's the definition of integrity? Well, the definition of integrity is always doing the right thing at the right time. I don't have an ounce of integrity if I've done something wrong and then try and underhandedly fix it by doing something right to hide what I've done wrong. That's not integrity. That's guilt speaking. Integrity is in the moment doing the right thing, going to that library place, going to that place where I can think about God's word, I can think about his moral code, I can discuss it with him, and in the moment have an immediate decision that's going to result in the best possible behavior that will result in the best possibility for your destiny to be good and true and just and right. The more you ignore that conscience, the more You step away from doing the right thing at the right time. And integrity isn't a spectator sport. No, integrity is doing the right thing at the right time, even when nobody's watching. The primary function of your conscience is to produce in you the ability, the habit, as it were, to do the right thing at the right time. The result, the reward for you, is a good night's rest in peace, knowing that you've done the right thing at the right time, as opposed to feeling like you've done the wrong thing all the time. Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 3 in the King James Version says this, the integrity of the upright will guide them. Didn't we start the message in Proverbs saying that, hang on, the integrity of the right will guide them? You see, the voice behind you, your conscience, is what will guide you. And then that scripture says, integrity is what will guide you. Your conscience's primary function is to produce in you integrity. But, says that scripture, the perversity of the unfaithful will destroy them. You see, when you perverse God's moral code, when you corrupt your operating system, you will find that you will lead a life towards destruction. But when you allow your conscience to work in you, integrity, doing the right thing at the right time, even though no one's watching, then you will find that you will be guided to goodness. Integrity is only made possible through a well-guided, active conscience. The more you ignore that conscience... The more selfishness will grow in you, the more we put ourselves into place with people and habits and things that we do that will destroy that conscience. And when we start destroying our conscience, that conscience slowly starts to grow quiet. That voice slowly starts to grow slightly softer, slightly softer. Every decision we take with selfishness starts to bleed out that voice until one day Scripture defines it as you've completely severed your ability to hear of God's moral code. You no longer have the ability to act in goodness and righteousness, only selfishness and corruption and perversion. The quieter your conscience becomes, the dimmer your destiny. The less you are able to hear your conscience, the less of a future you are able to see. In Romans chapter 9 and verse 1, Paul speaks about this. He says, With Christ as my witness, I speak with utter truthfulness. My conscience and the Holy Spirit confirm it. You see, Paul knew that if he was going to walk in truthfulness, if he was going to walk in integrity, well, then he would need to be guided by his conscience and the Holy Spirit. Your God-oriented conscience is the most authentic witness to your destiny. When you kill it, nothing is able to send signals anymore to you to help you preserve your destiny. Your God-oriented conscience is your single biggest asset in fighting through life and seeing goodness prevail. You see, we understand that the integrity of the upright will always prevail. And in the weeks to come, we're going to have a look at the things in your life that break, undercut, undermine your integrity and your conscience. Next week, I'm going to challenge you to say that when we have a look at your friends, you will be able to define your future. Show me a man's friends and I will show him his future. And when we have a look at our friends and who we hang out with, you see, we need to understand that our conscience can become acclimatized. It's either becoming acclimatized to God's moral code or the code of your friends. If your friends start telling you often enough that doing something wrong is right, they're probably operating out of selfishness and selfishness will eventually lead to your conscience no longer being oriented towards a good healthy destiny but your conscience oriented towards destruction and death and so we're going to have a look at your friends and say how does my friends how do my friends influence my conscience The next week, we're going to be having a look at your habits and what you do in your habits to either meet God's moral code or automatically meet your selfishness. What things that you do that you are blind to doing just because that's how you've always done it, where you should be doing it a different way to unlock a different future. And then what we're going to have a look at is we're going to have a look at the power of the tongue and the power of the mind as to see how what we speak and what we think about our thought life governs where our conscience is, leaning towards our own reasoning or leaning towards God's moral code. And then finally in this conscience journey, we're going to take a look at faith the Word and Holy Spirit. Remember we said that those were two ingredients that needs to be mixed into your conscience to make sure you're always oriented towards disciplines of a healthy conscience. I want to leave you with this, that no matter where your conscience is today, no matter where you are on this journey and today's message was just simply setting up some thoughts setting up some constraints as regards where we're going to go with this discussion on the conscience but really where no matter where you are today whether that conscience is pricking you whether you did something 20 years ago that is still concerning you whether you're making a decision right now and you're about to you think make a selfish decision well God makes provision for a healthy conscience. And right now, you can call that healthy conscience into being. God will help you correct your conscience. It's called justifying grace. He will allow you to justify, align your conscience back to your original operating code. Hebrews 9, verse 13 to 14 says this Under the old system, talking about the laws and the regulations, talking about religion, under that old system, there was a a ceremonial process that they would have to go through. But verse 14 says this, just think how much more the blood of Jesus will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. Say living, living God. We can be alive with this living God because our consciences have been cleaned. Our consciences have been aligned. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. You see, our conscience is only cleaned Purely, completely. It's only aligned back to this beautiful moral code, this wonderful operating system of God. Selfishness is completely eradicated only when we turn our attention to the most unselfish act ever performed, and that is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. You see, God spoke that moral code into being. And according to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 6 to 8, we vacillate underneath that wind. He breathes this moral code into being and we are the ones that go, oh, I think I should do. I think I shouldn't do. Is it good for me? Isn't it good for me? But that scripture in Isaiah chapter 8 ends that God's word always stands. So while you're blowing about in the wind wondering if God's moral code is for you or not, while you're blowing around in selfishness, God's word still applies to you. God's word says that your conscience can be cleaned that you can have joy and peace and mildness and self-control and love in your life if you will just turn to making that decision and understand that the decision of the unselfish, Jesus Christ, will inject into your life an unselfish spirit that will allow you to walk according to the moral code of God. And finally, in Psalm 119 and verse 105 God speaks about his word being your guide. It's a lamp to your feet. And as you hear that voice, the Proverbs voice behind you speaking, go left or go right, the higher the, the impetus, the higher the importance that you give to God's word in your life, the more light you will have in making that decision, having the right habits, and doing the right thing every single time, being integrity. Let's pray together as we jump into a place of communion and celebrating the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. If this is your first time with us, we we do communion here every single midweek service, and we just love being able to break bread and drink of some juice or some coffee and have some gum, whatever you've got available to you, just to symbolize the fact that, yes, I need a clean conscience. I need Jesus in my life. I need him to reinstall his operating system in my life so I can have the right moral code as opposed to my selfish moral code. Let's pray together and then we'll go into that moment of communion. So Father, we thank you that you have washed us clean in the blood of the lamb. That you have made us pure, that you you as we turn our attention to you Jesus and to you the word and to you the holy spirit that we can have a complete and clear conscience. You have washed us. You have made us right. Father, anything that we've done to corrupt that good moral code in our lives, will you close the gap? Will you make sure that the anxiety and and the, the worry of what we have done, what we are doing, what habits we've got into, who we're associating with, all starts to come together under the governance of your moral code and that our conscience obeys your moral code before it obeys our selfish code. Father, thank you for this reasoning. Thank you for this understanding. Thank you for this wisdom from Scripture. We receive this blood and this body, this juice and this bread as symbols of what you did to us and for us. In Jesus' name, we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen and Amen. Jesus' body was symbolically represented the very last time that he had supper with his disciples as a piece of bread. It was just something to eat. It, it showed that, that as we understand that Jesus came and was broken for, for who we could become, what our destiny could look like if we believed in Him, that we could have eternal life, we could have an incredible life if we would just receive that gift from Jesus, His body broken for your life, for your future. So as you take and eat something now, know that that symbolically represents that you receive, that Jesus' body was broken and, and His blood was shed for you so that you could have a future and you could have a destiny. So take, eat, and know that God has the very best in store for you because of Jesus dying for you. His blood was shed, and as we drink of this cup, know that God wants you to know that His Word always stands true. Man, when it comes to integrity, God is integrity. His Word will never falter. He will always do the right thing, no matter the consequence. He will always do it at the right time. And so, as you drink of this cup, know that Jesus' blood was shed so that you would know that His Word stands forever. His promises and his moral code are yours if you will have them. Drink and know that Jesus' blood was shed for you. Father, we thank you for all that you have done and all that you are doing. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. We take, eat, and drink, and we turn to you. Clean conscience, moral code installed. And ready to walk towards our destiny. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, next week we continue the series on conscience. This weekend coming up, Pastor Dwayne starts a brand new series on relationships and on marriage. And so, Come and join us this weekend as we unpack pitfalls and things that you can avoid in your relationships with your spouse and with others as we journey through this new series with Pastor Dwayne starting this weekend. Next week, we continue the Conscience Series. We take a look at what your friends do to your conscience. Thank you so much for joining us this week. We look so forward to seeing you again soon right here at Victory Life Church online.